So if you've been with us for the last few months, we've actually been studying the life of the Apostle Paul. I thought Nick did an excellent job last week in chapter 18 of the book of Acts. And then I was sitting at the counter last night because that's where I always do my studying. Maybe it's because I'm so ADD that I need the counter and the refrigerator close to each other to keep it going. But as I, I listened back to Nick's message from last week, and I thought, wow, how powerful to think of the life of the Apostle Paul, how he ended up being martyred for his faith, along with all the other apostles except for John. And yet he, he stuck with it. He stuck with the stuff, you know. I believe that the enemy is always out there trying to to destroy our thanksgiving spirit, to get us upset about something and make us so that we don't have the spirit of thanksgiving anymore. Because when things are going good, we fail to thank God that he is the one that has given us everything that we have. In him, we live and move and have our being, the scripture says. But we forget that we're the church, the body of Christ that Jesus has special compassion upon the church. He ordained that where two or three are meeting together, the spirit of the Lord would be there. You know that's true. Jesus, God the Father, and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are in the house this morning. And as we were singing, I was thinking, boy, there's a lot of people gone today. But then I thought to myself, but God knows who needs to be here too. I want to ask you this. Do you have a spirit of thanksgiving this morning? The spirit of saying, God, boy, I am so thankful for your love and mercy because mercy is alive. We don't always realize that. I woke up about 4.30 in the morning and I just had all these things going through my mind and thinking, I don't know if I can make it. And God says, I've got your back. That's what he does comes alongside of us and says, I got your back. You don't need to worry. You don't need to fret. There are all kinds of things that will come your way. The enemy's constantly trying to steal away our song of thanksgiving. So as I was thinking about, about thanksgiving in this weekend, knowing that people are going to be with their families and they're going to overeat and they're going to feel a lot of guilt. Politics might enter into the picture. A lot of things happen at family get-togethers, don't they? Strange things. Good things, but strange things, too. Well, I hope you had a spirit of thanksgiving. Because I know that the enemy, I'm going to switch over to this mic. I know that the enemy is like um, the Grinch that stole Christmas. That's what came to my mind as I was studying. I don't know if you've seen the year 2000 movie, uh, The Grinch That Stole Christmas, but... I think it was then, or maybe later, that Jim Carrey made this, played this incredible part of the Grinch. You know, he's in a high mountain above Hoosville. All the people down there are worrying about who they are. They all live in Hoosville. Who's who? You got to know this this morning, that the enemy wants you to think that you're worthless. That mercy isn't alive, that this is the end of the ride, that you're done, you're finished, it's over. That's what he does. He likes to fill us with fear. He wants us to think there's no future. 
or your past is too great to overwhelm and overcome the future, and that there's no hope. And God says, no, I'm breathing into you this morning. I'm breathing life into you. The Grinch can't steal your Christmas or your Thanksgiving. No matter what, what I saw in the Apostle Paul's life is the constant ability to overcome all the things that came into his life and yet go on for God, knowing that God is in control. Got a little clip of the movie so you can kind of get an idea what this is all about this morning. A lot of us believe in the Grinch because it seems like he's always out there, isn't he? Well, in today's passage, which is chapter 18, the first numerous verses, you find that Paul's been experiencing the Grinch everywhere he went. The enemy is everywhere we look, everywhere we go, but it's, it all depends on how we view him and who we see him as. See, he'll, he'll steal away your joy otherwise. Because there are two kind of people in the room this morning. There are those who are and those who aren't. And those who believe and have faith and those who don't. And those who are overcomers and those who aren't. But in every one of those situations, the middle word is who. Who are you? Because in Whoville, there's someone always trying to Whovilleize you. Demonize you. Make you think that you're a loser. There's no way to win. You cannot win. And if anybody had the testimony of a, being an overcomer, it certainly had to be the Apostle Paul. Because as we found out last week in Nick's message, he's, he's come from Athens now, and he's gone to Corinth. And Athens is the intellectual city that the Romans controlled. It's known for its intellectualism, and we talked about all those things that go on in Athens, the stoicism that dominates the thinking of the people there, and what their religion is. It's a lot like today what we see in our culture. Humanism prevailing, dominating in our culture. When you're sad about something, put the blame on someone else. It has to be the Grinch that stole the election. It has to be. In fact, we should go back and count every single vote to make sure that we weren't robbed because people are always robbed of something that's theirs. But you know what? A lot of this depends on how you think and how you see things. And I can remember in the last couple of weeks seeing a video of one of the um, uh, candidates that ran for president in the last several years saying, you know, I've learned this, that one thing is for sure. Everybody is so positive that this election is the one that will forever destroy our country. And yet somehow we managed to overcome. Somehow the system is wired so that people readjust the situation to come back around to who we were founded to be. Oh my goodness. Thank God this morning, right? You have something to thank God for. You know, is the only time that we come to God when we're in trouble? Because the tale of two cities is this. Athens is a city of intellectualism that dominates their culture with critical thinking ability and never satisfied, never knowing enough. And then there's Corinth, where you find nothing but sensuality and sexuality. And if you've ever seen a Corinth in history, it has to be America today to being able to figure out who you are. What'd you call that, Danny? Gender assumption is the new thing. Gender assumption. Don't assume that just because 
He's wearing pants and has short hair. He's a boy. Or that because she has long hair, she's a girl. Don't assume that Pat is a female or a male because you're never going to find out. As Saturday Night Live will point out to you, the whole concept of Pat has been out there for a long time. As you think about Christmas and Thanksgiving, too many of us end up in this predicament. We are Mr. and misunderstood, aren't we? Mr. and misunderstood. I want to meet Mr. understood and misunderstood because all of us are misunderstood. If we let the enemy, he will convince us that we are nobodies, when in God's book, we are really somebodies. It's two cities. It's two evils. The two evils are this, intellectual pride and lustful envy. Never being satisfied. Intellectualism in Athens and lustful thinking all the time in Corinth. And what happens with us is we tend to adjust according to what we're going through at that time by rationalizing away, I'm okay, it's all right, things will come back around. And they usually do, but in the same respect, we don't understand that there's an enemy who is roaring like a roaring lion roaming around, seeking who he may devour. If he can think you, get you thinking badly enough about yourself, you just won't even want to live. I've said this for many, many years now, Never trust what you think at 4 o'clock in the morning because usually it's wrong. We spoke about this in our study of the book of James in men's Bible study, that there are two signs of worldly wisdom that we need to be conscious of. Number one, jealous ambition, and two, bitter envying. They always lead to bad things. And you know that the people of Corinth trusted in the God, the goddess of sex, Aphrodite. They trusted in her. She was the one that they should worship. But you must also remember that Athens and Corinth are both Roman provinces. And so you have Roman thinking that dominates these cities. And Paul is there in both cities. He's left Athens now with all the intellectualism behind because he was more or less forced out. I want to say this for, for everyone who suffers persecution for the cause of Christ. You might know that it's coming, that the enemy is real, and he wants nothing more than to devour us, to eat us up. And why would we do what Aaron told us to do and run toward the roar? Because we're assured that if you're living right for God, you're going to get persecuted. If our church is making any kind of impact, we will be ridiculed. We'll be spoken of evil in evil ways. We won't be encouraged to go on. You'll be discouraged and feel like giving up. Corinth was known for sexual license and racial discord and perversion. All of that was prominent in the city. I believe this as a Christian that there will always be someone that wants me to get lost in who I am. There will always be some force out there trying to make you feel as though you're not good enough. There will always be a family feud. It's cyclical. There will always be political tyranny around the world as, as now we see Cuba. Cuba, they call it. Cubans call it Cuba instead of Cuba. We go Cuba, right? K 
Castro dies. Now the people down in Florida were rejoicing. All those who escaped his tyranny. There will always be tyranny somewhere in the world because there will always be selfish ambition. Right? There will always be selfish ambition. There will always be that envy that wants to seek to have more meaning and more purpose in life. There will always be emptiness. There will always be meaninglessness. There will always be lack of purpose. But I am assured of God's grace to me by just looking at one passage. One passage in the scripture that says to me, I have never seen the righteous forsaken. It says when he falls, he will not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hand even when he falls. I have been young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken. Or the descendants, his descendants, begging bread all day long. God is gracious. You're going through something this morning. You've come here. And, and maybe we're missing a lot of people today because they're still in um, recovery from Thanksgiving. They're recuperating. It's, yeah, it's, it's, they're, they're having food withdrawals right now. Need more food. They don't need more family. They need more food and a rest. What I find is I am bored to death if I got two days off and all we're doing is eating. I need a knife to cut my throat. I went back to Planet Fitness yesterday after months. This is futile. You know, it's futile. You'll never, ever, ever, ever feel good enough to match up to what everyone's expectations are. And the enemy will always be there trying to steal like the Grinch, trying to steal the joy from the people of Whoville. And the people from Whoville will always be pointing at the Grinch because they've never even bothered to get to know who is behind the roar. You know that? If we as a church body, if we really are the church, we will bother to get to know the other people of the church so we can understand what they're going through and join with them and praying for them. Not praying on them, praying for them. It should be our ultimate goal to make people understand that you are a beloved child of God. You matter to God. The Grinch can't hurt you. You need to try to reach the Grinch. Yeah, you do. And I was thinking about my message for today, and I was thinking, wow, what do I really want to say? I want to say this, that you're never alone because God's got your back. Do you know that? God always has your back. You've come into the room this morning, and you're thinking, but the Apostle Paul is the Apostle Paul. He's just this giant in Scripture. I could never be like the Apostle Paul. And God is saying, yes, you can. You can be another Apostle Paul. If you do not have this idea that you are all alone and the Grinch is always waiting to trip you up and you find yourself going in these cycles of defeat over and over as we get into the holiday season, for most people, they're not exciting times. They're depressing times. And as we walk into a new year, we're always asking ourselves, what's going to happen this year? You've got to know that the Apostle Paul finds his way on the way out of Athens, having once again experienced ultimate disapproval and depression. Because we don't know exactly how he felt. I do know this, that he cried out at times to God to help him because of the thorn in the flesh. But the scripture says after this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth and he found a Jew named Aquila 
a native of Pontus recently came come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And so Paul went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, a tent maker, he stayed with them and worked for them. They were tent makers by trade. And he argued every day in the synagogue, every Sabbath, excuse me, and persuaded Jews and Greeks to believe in Jesus. It's pretty intense. Paul leaves because the emperor had now demanded that all Jews leave. And, and Aquila and Priscilla are now living in Corinth out of fear and hiding because they're Jews. Primarily just because of their race. And Paul runs into them, and I don't know where he met them, but he found out that he had something in common with these people. They were tent makers. And they invited him to lodge with them, to stay with them, and they could work together. But the thing that stuck out to me the most about the text was that Paul did not consider tent making to be his real lot in life. He considered God to be his lot. He could see God in everything. You know, you could be depressed because yesterday's Michigan game, I was listening to it on the way home. That was tense. There are people mourning and gr grieving over it. They had to play with Play-Doh to get out of their funk. They had to encourage each other because they were so depressed that Ohio State won in those last few seconds of a double overtime. Oh, my goodness. They're just weeping all day. I look on Facebook, and I'm so sad. I don't think I'm going to make it. It's crazy what people get sad over these days. And my wife says, it's just a game. It's just a game. You say... It's more than a game. Michigan's my life. <laughs> I, I saw Lexi come into practice yesterday with a Michigan shirt on that Nick had bought her. And my wife said, are you a traitor against Michigan State? Yeah. <laughs> and I thought to myself, God only knows what their spouses are going to do to them. <laughs> when you give your children away, sometimes you have to grieve. Just a case, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The power of persuasion. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. You're never alone. God always has your back. Well, you know, I don't always feel like that. I don't always feel like that. Sometimes I feel like I'm not going to make it. Does he have my back? And then I have to remember, stay busy for God or you will Get out of focus. You will lose focus. You know how important that is? And the enemy will come and whisper to you, you might as well just throw in the towel and give up. You're a nothing. You're a nobody from Whoville. You don't even know who you are. It was tough. But he met this couple that he had something in common with because God always sends someone into your life just when you need it. You, you agree with that or not? God always sends the right comfort and someone into your life just when you need it. And so you read down to chapter 18, verse 5, and it says, and when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with preaching 
testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your heads. I'm innocent. From now on, if you don't want to hear it, I'll go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Let me synopsize that very quickly for you because it's ridiculously powerful. So Paul is preaching to the Jews and he gets some people that get stirred up with him and want to criticize him. And you know this is how the enemy works. He destroys, he tries to destroy who you really are and tell you lies and say, you're a troublemaker, Paul. Everywhere you go, there's trouble. Everywhere you go, someone is upset and angry. How come you're always in the center of friction or trouble? You know, the answer is this. Because those that love Jesus Christ and witness for him are going to get persecuted. All of those who live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. You're not suffering persecution, neither am I. There are very few people that are against us. This is what I thought was interesting. As you contrast scripture and you look at scripture and what people expect of us today, it's almost impossible to live up to what people think you should be. First Timothy talk about the qualifications for a deacon and an elder. And Paul says this in First Timothy, here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever out there aspires to be an overseer, pastor, deserves a noble or desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect of all the people around him. And if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders outside the church so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Well, if you, if you followed me on that list, that's a mouthful. That is a major mouthful to match up to when it comes to serving God. You want to be a deacon? You want to be an elder in the church? You want to be a leader that is respected? You have to live up to all of that list of things that Paul wrote to Timothy. 
Do you fit? You wonder why people feel like Grinch is stealing their joy? It's because the enemy is always telling us we're unfit, unqualified, unworthy, and yes, we are, but by the grace of God, he takes us out of us and gives us the true identity of who we were meant to be, and that's overcomers by the mercy of God. Yeah? Yeah? I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God to present yourselves a living sacrifice every single day or you're going to give up. You have to die to self daily or you are overcome with fear. Are you not? You're so overwhelmed with fear. I woke up at 4.30 and I always, on the night before I preach, I always lay there thinking, I'm so unworthy, so unworthy, so, not false humility. I'm so unworthy. I'm so unworthy. And if you didn't have parents that, that told you that you were something and you didn't have parents that said you could do something with your life and you never had anyone like that around you. And if you have a wife and she never encourages you and if you have a husband who never says you're amazing, you begin to believe the lie of the devil that you're a nobody. And you question yourself, who am I really? Does anybody know? Who am I? I read the list and I think to myself, oh my gosh, it is not enough that you have to desire the office. There's all these qualifications to be a pastor or a deacon or an elder or anybody actually. You can't live up to it. You just throw in the towel and say, I might as well just quit. The Grinch stole my joy. You got something to be joyful about today. The mercies of God are new every day. Come on, God. The mercies of God come down new every day. You know this? They come down at 4.30 in the morning when the enemy is lying to you. They come down to you at, at nighttime when you feel like you can't go on. They come down when you're crying because your husband doesn't act like he loves you anymore because your kids have gone astray and gotten into bad garbage. You come, you, you, you come before the Lord depressed when your kids' marriages are falling apart. You come before the Lord and say, Lord, I've just agonized. I've prayed. I've cried. I've wept. I've done everything in my power to show you that I care about you. Why have these things not changed? His mercies are still new every day. You got to receive it right now. Right now, right this second, you have to receive that right now. God has your back. Doesn't he? You agree? God has your back. And this is what God's saying to you right now. Don't let the enemy make you think that you're nobody. God wants you to know who you are. You were designed before the creation of the world. He loves you. We should love each other because he loves us. You know how the world will know that we're Christians at Rock Church? Not by having a building that looks really good on Chicago Drive, but by exhibiting the power of God and the love of God to other people. By loving on people. We were going to buy our cabinets at Lowe's, and I went and visited a lady there several times for the new building for the kitchen, and it was just too much money. So I ended up going somewhere else. She, she, I told her, I might come back and I might not. But yesterday I got an email, and she said, I've driven by your new church, the Rock Church on Chicago Drive, and I see the Christmas lights there, and I see your sign that you're opening soon. I didn't get to do cabinets with you, but I really enjoyed the time. And I wrote her back and said, thank you so much. Do you know how much people are waiting for just a word of encouragement, a word of hope, 
the kid that you've given up on, the marriage that you think is over, the life, the business that you think is destroyed. I don't care what it is. God wants you to know that he's got your back. Second thing that's really important as I look at the text this morning is where you go, who you hang with, and what you believe is going to determine where you're headed, who you stay with, connected to, and what you become. You know that? Yes? You know that? You know what I need? I need to be at Rock Church with all the wonderful people of Rock Church who actually encourage me and I them. I need to be in a body that says, we're going to do it together, aren't we? We're going to overcome all the criticism of the enemy and encourage each other instead of destroying one another. We're going to pray for each other rather than pray on each other. So you don't, and you, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and some of you have prayed over and over and over. You've prayed for something over and over and over and over, and you tend to give up and say, God, I feel like I'm just worn out in praying for this thing. It's not ever going to change, but it can change if you believe. Correct? Is that right, honey? We pray for our own kids. I'm not giving up. I, no, 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 no. I'm not giving up. Do you know that sometimes the answer to your prayer is right in front of your face? It's right there. You're just not grabbing onto it. The answer to your prayer is right there. And look at what the scripture says in verses 9 to 11. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision. Ooh, thank you, Jesus, because I woke up in the middle of the night last night and I was having a vision, but it wasn't a good one. He says, don't be afraid, but speak and do not be silent. Just because you got stoned back there and because you got cast out of this city and because these supposed Christians didn't like the way you do it, don't give up for I am with you and no man shall attack you to harm you for I have many people in this city. I got to stop there a second. Leave that up there, right there. There are many people in the city. God's the God of the city. And if you don't like me, somebody else will. Oh, come on now. There'll be some other dum-dum that'll like me. Right? You ever feel the power of rejection in your life? I used to walk the, the, the halls of school in high school all by myself and carry my Bible and got heckled like crazy because I knew God had called me to do ministry. Not everybody's going to like you if you're a vocal Christian. And even if you're not, not everyone's going to like you because you may have been raised in circumstances that you weren't told that you're something. I want to say this to Rock Church today. You're something. Every time people see the word rock church, they should say, that is a loving church. You know how we know they're Christians? By their love for one another. The Bible doesn't say you throw people out because they are disqualified according to the first Timothy standards. He says, these are the qualities that I'd like to see in you because Paul didn't even match up to the standards. You got it? You listening to me? You listening? You are to be respected in the community and he was thrown out everywhere he went well that was the apostle paul that's not you pastor you're a hypocrite and dirty dog yeah that's what the enemy likes to say yeah it is you're worthless he was something i will guarantee you paul's biggest struggle was not being stoned by those who called themselves believers his biggest struggle was he felt unworthy oh yeah 
Any child of God who is really doing something for God will be humbled by the mercy and grace of God. You will stand humbled before him and say, I am not worthy. I am The only good messages at this church are the ones that have broken us as a speaker. Those are the only good ones. The ones that have broken me and said, you're nothing without God. But with God, you are really something no matter what anybody says. And if they don't like you, somebody else will. There's a lot of people in the city. Yeah? City's big enough, I can stay. I remember when Mr. Tenbrink said, you may not live within 100 miles of Grand Rapids. And I said, sorry, you're not going to happen. I'm staying. He's the God of the city. He's the God of the city. And you see, Paul was encouraged by the angel of the Lord who came in the middle of the night when you guys are thinking nobody's there with you and you're ready to cry and you are sure your business is done. You are sure your marriage is done. You are sure your kids are gone. You are sure that you don't fit as a qualified person to be a leader, period, because the First Timothy passage has disqualified you. I don't think so. I think this. Paul is only bringing those up because he thinks these are qualities to aspire to be because God is the ultimate qualifier. He doesn't disqualify anybody or we'd all go to hell. I can't see any of you, so it won't matter, but how many of you already sinned this week? Most of you would say, no, not me. Pastor, I'm as pure as a Virgin Mary. <laughs> not I, not I. Don't you see how good I look on Sundays? Oh, Pastor, I'm so nice. Never let a cuss word out of my mouth. Never think a bad thought about anybody. Never say a bad word about anybody except my neighbor. She's awful. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy reigns in our culture. We live in a culture of looking good. Oh, yes, Hudsonville, you drive through the city, it says, good people, good something. But I'm thinking to myself, good grief. Good grief, what a bunch of fakes we are, aren't we? This is the way it ought to be. You find out that your brother or your sister fell, as Paul says in Galatians 1. You, are, you only have one objective, not to disqualify, not to destroy, but to pick up. Pick up. Michigan will recover. Get over it. The election will recover. Hillary may never recover because she's got some kind of demons. Yeah, she conceded the race, and now she wants to have the recount. Hillary, you need, to, you need to let it go. You need to go watch whatever that stupid movie is, that children's movie, and get one of those, what? Frozen. Yeah, she, she, oh, my gosh. We live in the land of the frozen, don't we? The frozen chosen in every church. Now, this is what happens. The angel says to him, you know, you, you, you do matter. And he stayed because there were other people in the city. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. When I read this, I thought, I got to preach this because I stayed. I didn't run. I stayed. Face, face the ugliness in the closet. Face people who won't talk to you. I'm not a hero. I'm not a hero. You just stay. We stay together, don't we? We stay together. We need to understand that we maybe just don't really know the Grinch. All these fears that are out there, if we would just give it to God in his timing, he will deal with it. Right. But who you hang with, who you talk to, you, are, are you with me? Yeah. 
and, and which way you're moving and what things come out of your mouth that the devil hears and says, well, he's so discouraged, he's ready to give up. Let me just stir up those coals inside of him. Let's get him burning mad about this and this and this and this. Let's get her talking. So the enemy just hears it and he plays on it. He says, yeah, that's where I want you. I want you bitter at your family instead of better. I want you believing there's no hope instead of saying, no, there is hope. This is going to be resolved, and I'm going to pray until the day it happens. Paul stayed. He stayed. He moved right on to Corinth, and he met a couple there who were facing the very same thing that he was facing. Aquila and Priscilla had been thrown out by the proconsul. Claudius said, get out. All Jews out. They had no choice but to move away. But God had a divine appointment for them. The truth is that God made them move because Paul was going to need them. Oh, come on now. Come on now. You are in this room today, and I might only be preaching to one person. You are in this room today because God divinely put you here because you are ready to throw in the towel. And God says, no, I got somebody to come alongside of you. I got the body of Christ. I got the Holy Spirit who's seated right next to you. You know this? He's hugging you and he's saying, you are my beloved. We need to stop being afraid. And I, at the men's retreat, I... I shared several thoughts from Steve Ferrer's book, which I think is ridiculously powerful. But he says that there are four ways that you finish strong. And I've kept these in my mind forever. And I'm positive that the Apostle Paul had to be living like this all the time. Ferris says you have to stay in. If you don't stay in the word, you're going down. You got this? You listening to me? Am I right, honey? If you, if you try to make it through the day, you're more interested in the Michigan game than you are in your relationship with God. Shame on us. You stay in the word of God and you stay in the church. I can make you a solid promise. I will make you a solid promise. My best advice to those who are struggling. Stay in the word and stay with God's people who are headed this way. Stay in the word. Stay in the church. In this church, you will grow. Yes, you will. The second thing he said is you have to stay close. And Ferris says this, you must stay close to a friend or friends who are moving in the same direction. Moving toward God. Moving toward God. When I attempted suicide at 21 years old, it was because I was always trying to be accepted by people who didn't like me anyway. You got that? Why do we want to be accepted by people who don't even want to be with us anyway? What would the purpose in that be? It seems like we're always striving to be in a group that God doesn't want us to be in. He wants us to be here in Nerdsville, not Whoseville. Nerdsville. You got this? I don't care if we're all nerds. You don't care. You keep coming. See, what God loves nerds. Yes, he does. Doesn't he? Big amen? Oh, all the cool people said, shut up. You're talking to yourself, man. You are not cool. I'm from Coolsville. 
Not Hoosville, not Nerdsville. I'm from Coolsville. I only hang with people who are cool cats. Stay close. Stay close to someone who will actually say, come home. Huh? Huh? Come home. Come home, all you that are weary and heavy laden, because I want to give you some rest. Third thing Pharaoh says is you got to stay away. Stay away. Stay away from everything that takes your attention off of Jesus and makes you feel guilty because you're a child of God. The enemy wants you to stay close to things that are not good for you so he can constantly accuse you and make you really depressed and not want to live. Stay away from the garbage. Stay away from the sexual garbage in Corinth. And one last thing, Ferris says, you got to stay alert. You, you have this idea of the enemy. Well, he's just this little guy with horns and blah, blah, blah. That's, Satan's not in that. That's the devil is just, the devil's not doing this. It's just whatever. Hmm? Really? You don't think that it is the devil that wants to put fear of, in your mind to really face the Grinch? You are not to go around in civilian clothes. You are to put on the whole armor of God so that when the enemy comes at you, you can, you can literally stab him with the sword of the Spirit. Yes. You can stab him and say, get out. You have no part in my life, in my marriage, in my kids, in my home, in my family. I am a child of God and loved by God. Paul says, when I came to you, I was with you in weakness and in much fear and trembling. Don't think that God does not allow us at times to come in fear and trembling. He expresses that to the Corinthians in, in the book of 1 Corinthians. The city was responding to the gospel and the devil was mad and the strongholds of evil were being torn down. One by one, the stronghold that Satan had were being ripped out. You know what your stronghold is. Because 2 Corinthians says this, for the weapons of our warfare are not worldly. They actually have divine power to pull down strongholds that have been in my life forever. We destroy every argument, every proud obstacle to the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Jesus Christ. And then we know who we are, right? I'm a blood-bought child of God. He makes my feet want to dance, my mouth want to talk, my heart want to confess, my lips proclaim that he is the Lord because we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We should take down every, every thought that comes against him. I need, to, I need to finish up, but I wanted to say one last thing here this morning. It ain't over until... God says it's over. You've given up on something, haven't you? My wife means that. My daughter doesn't come to church. She will not stop praying until she does. I'm with her. I'm going to be with people who believe like that. Yes? If we as a church stand together by faith and do what God is telling us to do, this church will bring others in that need to move in that direction. 
If we don't, we'll just become another social club. You got that? See, there were accusers of Paul. They came to him, and they wanted people to think that he was evil. And they actually said in, in verse 13 of chapter 18, this man is persuading men to worship God contrary to the law. This was Jews, or Gentiles maybe, that came to Gallio and, and complained to him that Paul was teaching things that broke Roman law. Well, you have to remember, Paul was a Roman. He understood the law, but he was also a Jew, and he understood their ways. Do you know what I found in my life? There will always be someone out there who will want to destroy you if you're doing anything in life, period. There will always be people at work that will not like you, especially if you're the boss. There will always be people on the block, if your place looks nice, that will criticize you and say, they, oh my gosh, they must have stolen the money. Do you see the shrubs they put in? And the, oh my gosh, there's a fountain in the backyard. They're, they're rich. They have a $5,000 couch. That's what people actually said about us. How stupid. It's only 4000 No. <laughs> gosh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. A $5,000 couch. I don't even want one. We'd have to worship before it. As it is, I hate the fact that every time we come home, our dog is up on the couch, on the top pillow, smashing him down. This is how I look at it. A couch is a couch is a couch, and it too will pass away. Enjoy it. Enjoy it, right? There's always going to be somebody out there talking against you. And so these, quote, believers came against Paul and went to Gallio and said, they said to him, He's preaching stuff that is in violation of Roman law. And this was the response of a lost man in government. Thank God that God can even use political leaders who are lost to bring things around. You get that? All the people that are never Trumpers that said, well, he's not a Christian. We don't deserve a Christian. Even if he was a Christian, which some say he is, he would never be good enough. Do you understand that? We're no pastor is good enough. And if the reality is, is known to all of us, all of the fake pastors out there are trying to live up to the expectations of everyone in their church, that is pride. That is pride. You need to admit your own shortcomings, and then you won't be so quick to point fingers at everybody else. Look what the, look what the scripture says. Look, if this man had committed a crime or done something wrong, I would judge him. But it's obvious to me that you're all talking about some silly semantic, semantic distinctions between your own Jewish religious factions. Therefore, it has nothing to do with Roman law. This is the best part of the story. They were sure they had Paul trapped. They looked, they got their lawyers, they hired lawyers, and they went after him and said, He's violating Roman law. He's doing this. He's saying this and that and the other thing. And the man at the top said, you're crazy. As far as I can see, I got up in the middle of the night to look up what did Roman law actually say. And we know from even Nick's message last week and mine the week before, they had this stoic idea that man must, you know, be in constant ebb and flow with nature. They had some ridiculous man-made ideas, even in their legal system. But God made the man at the top agree with Paul. 
which gave him the right from that point on to go anywhere he wanted to because he wasn't breaking Roman law. And it revealed the real wrong people. God has a way of doing this. You know what it is? We preach the gospel. We get heckled by you because we don't live up to what you expect. And God is the divine vindicator. Let it be known to the whole world if you listen to this message. God is my judge, not you, not anybody else. But God will even intervene in a divine way to use an unsaved man for Paul to be freed. And Paul went, said in 1 Corinthians, oh, this is the greatest part. Sosthenes was the man that was to judge Paul. And those people that had come against Paul were so upset that Sosthenes did not judge Paul the way they wanted and did not stand up strong enough. He was like the lawyer against Paul. He did not stand up strong enough against Paul that they lost their way. They took Sosthenes out and beat the pulp out of him. I thought, oh my goodness, Hillary, you thought Mr. Comey was so great as long as he was on your page and said that you had not broken any crimes that did not send you to jail. But now that he wanted to have another look at things or one week before the election, he's an unfit, unqualified piece of you-know-what. Isn't that how it works? When, when Someone sees right through your plan, you get really, really mad and destroy him and erase all the righteous reminders from your life. But the story wasn't over. God always has the final say. Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 1.1, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes and our brother. Oh, oh, wait a second. You mean I'd given up on this? You mean it looked really bad for Paul? That he had to go to court and he had to be tried and all this stuff? And then the guy that was supposed to be dead against him gets literally beaten to a pulp by the religious people maybe even left for dead. But Paul later states that he became a child of God. Oh, whoa. Can you imagine this morning if the rock people believe that God started the rock, that he brought the people here that are supposed to be here, that we were not starting a church to be vindictive or hateful, that God is in your situation and not all you have to worry about is honoring God and he will take care of the rest. He will put people in and take people out. They will not be able to come against you because God is in control. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. And the scripture says, and after this, Paul stayed many days longer. You better be encouraged today. I can give you a formula for victory. Jesus first. Glorify the Father. Glorify his Son. Feel the Holy Spirit of God raining mercy down on you right now. Saying, don't give up. Don't quit. Come on, come on now. Don't quit. Give it over to me. I am a God who answers prayer. Stay. Stay in. Stay close. 
Stay away. Stay alert. The enemy doesn't win. I'm telling you right now, God wins. We win. We win. We do. And so what if there's that horrible Grinch living, up at the, living on the top of the mountain up there, that green, big, ugly dude? We ought to pray that the Grinch, Sothenes, comes to know Jesus. God can do anything. And he stayed longer. Remember this. Sin will always take you further than you want to go. Keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And cost you a lot more than you wanted to pay. Give it up. We used to sing this in church all the time. I surrender all. I want you to close your eyes a moment. It said, all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I want to switch over to my keyboard for a minute here to that mic. I want you to just think. You know how it went. guarantee you that God is in this room because he lives inside of us you know this morning that it has been God that's followed you everywhere you've been from city to city from job to job maybe from marriage to marriage maybe from just trial to trial or thinking that there's some Grinch out there always out to get you and God says, but you got to remember something. I am with you. In those still moments where God has you and he does have you in the grip of his hand, in the grip of his grace. When I spend time alone, even in the middle of the night, in fear, gripped by things that I think are going to happen, I find all the time that God is sufficient to meet my needs. I just need to surrender to him. This is the time right now to give it to God.
Give it to God. You know what it is. Otherwise, fear will overtake you. The best part of the whole movie is that the Grinch's heart grew to twice its size. He changed. There will always be a Sosthenes to come against us, but God is greater, isn't he? Don't lose faith. Don't lose hope. Give it over. Right now, give it to God this holiday season. We thank you, God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we thank you that all of the Godhead is with us all the time. In Jesus' name.